Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by nobody. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast family. I'm the site manager over at Denver Stiffs, and I am joined by a very special guest making his return to the program. It is one of our lead writers over at Denver Stiffs, Gage Bridgeford. He's at G Bridgeford NFL on Twitter and, and the NFL. We, we've, we've discussed this before. It's a great time to go follow him right now because the NFL draft is going on and there are going to be some fantasy takeaways and, and Gage does a lot of great fantasy work as well. Uh, we are currently recording in the middle of the first round. So uh, there are definitely some things that like are going to happen over there. And so if you're, if you're interested in that, then uh, be my guest for sure. But for now, this is a basketball podcast and we are going to talk about the nuggets and their season just ending. And there are lots of different ways that we could go about it. But I think the first thing for now gauge is just to talk about what your initial thoughts on the season were, where Denver stands in your mind and what were some of the things that you initially thought? Uh, well, first of all, glad to be back. Yes, I'm still, I still have NFL on my Twitter handle. No, it's not <laughs> going away anytime soon. Yes, I am sitting here watching the NFL draft behind me. I actually, as we're recording live, the Packers, who are my team, just made their first selection. They selected a linebacker, which is just abundantly hilarious because we Packer fans have won a Green Bay to draft linebackers forever. They never did. They finally got a good one that they signed to an extension this offseason. And so, of course, they drafted another one. Anyway, I am looking back on this Denver season, and it's going to sound really weird. I think this Denver season was was a success. Interesting. So he and and here's why. Nikola Jokic won his second MVP in a row. We got to see Bones Highland kind of develop a little bit more. We got to see some different guys kind of go into different spots. I liked a lot of what I saw from Aaron Gordon offensively this year. It wasn't as it wasn't a great defensive year from him, but I thought that he made a lot of good strides defensively. Uh, we got to see Michael Malone really bench Faku Campazo finally. Um, he's, he still made some decisions that I think were questionable lineup-wise in the playoffs. Uh, Austin Rivers not playing basically at all in the elimination game after having he, a he got fantastic hurt. Uh, game four. I do, I do want to just, just handicap that really quickly. He got hurt and uh, in the first quarter and was questionable to return after that and just, just couldn't get back out there. Fair enough. Well, then in that case, not playing more in the previous games, I think was, I, I just thought Austin Rivers would have made more of a difference in the series. And I mean, we saw throughout the year Malone's stubbornness to change lineups. Sometimes he was, sometimes he's like, yeah, sure. Change it, whatever. Other times, nope. Going to play what he's going to play. Um, but I think it was a success because we saw, we saw good things from individual guys. And we'll get into that a little bit more like player wise, a little bit more in a bit, but so Denver lost in a four, in a five game series to Golden State. They were a team that is a polar opposite of them. Denver is a big and um, like a front court focused team. Golden State's a backcourt focused team. They're a backcourt focused team that has the greatest shooter of all time and one of the greatest shooters of all time. That's against a team without their top guard and a team that is without their top two shooters. I mean, I think that we would yeah. both agree. Jamal Murray's Mike Moore Jr.'s two best shooters on the team, and neither one of them played. They would have made a huge difference in the series. Um, Denver, other outside of, like, getting – like, after they got blown out early, they kind of figured it out. I mean, they only lost by four in game five. They were close in game three. I think this season's a success from the standpoint of you have to focus on – managing the expectations. I know that I wrote the managing expectations piece a couple different times throughout the year as a film Friday idea, because everyone's like, Oh, well, we got to just look at Denver. They're a title contender. Well, if, like I said, look at Denver as what they really are, which is a team with a superstar of superstars in Jokic and then a bunch of other guys. And if right. you look at a team like that, they got to the, they got into the playoffs. Yeah. They lost. They lost, but they lost by five in game three. They won game game four by five, and then they lost by four in, in the final in the fifth game. They were close. They were close all the time after those first two games when they really got it figured out. So I'm not 
I look at it as a success from that standpoint. Yeah, they didn't win a championship, but without their second and third best players, you're not going to win a championship. That's not how the world works. It, it wasn't ever realistic expectations for Denver to seriously challenge Golden State, and and they still had some moments where they did, and, and that was really exciting. I think as as the season developed, as the series developed, you could see that Denver was able to challenge them in different ways and take care, take their advantages in certain ways while mitigating some of their weaknesses. And, and let's be clear, Denver had a lot of weaknesses this year. And a lot of it is uh, the injuries, of course. I think there are some roster things that they will have to tweak heading into the offseason. But for the most part, this was a flawed roster that was still able to challenge one of the premier title contenders in the NBA in my mind. Like we, we're seeing Phoenix show some holes. We're seeing Milwaukee show some holes. We're seeing Boston, like Boston's actually my, my pick to win the title. But there are so many teams in the NBA right now that are elite but flawed. And the Warriors might be the best of them all. And they actually have a legitimate claim for that, which is really interesting that Denver was still able to keep it competitive for much of this series. So I think my biggest takeaway in general on this season is that Nikola Jokic at his peak, and and I think he's at his peak right now, is that he is basically a guaranteed playoff spot represented in one singular player. And what he was able to do from an availability standpoint, what he was able to do from a production and efficiency standpoint this year, off the charts, unbelievable. Expecting him to do more than that is probably not a great idea, especially as he goes into his late 20s and then into his 30s. But the version of Nikola Jokic that emerged this year was better than the version that had that was there last year and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. And what he has done at this point is truly remarkable. And people should focus on that rather than the negatives, I think. Yeah, I like, I mean, that kind of goes back to what I was saying is I think that this season where, where if you try and look at it as, as, as the whole team and the team success, yeah, you're going to be let down and you're going to say that this season was a failure. But if, like you said, we have to adjust the expectations and expecting a team without their second, third best players to realistically win a title was never, that was just never a re, going to be a realistic outcome. And if that, like, if that happened, that was the 0.01%. That was the, the one in 14 million chance that Dr. Strange saw in some weird universe that that's where you came out was, yeah, this is the only way that this could happen is if both these two guys were out, that's the only way Denver could win the title. And it just, it wasn't going to happen. And so I, so I choose to put a positive spin on it because it's so easy to look at everything negatively. And we have the entire off season to focus on negative things to focus on what did Denver do well this year? What are things that are positive that you can build on moving forward? And I think that, like you said, Jokic being a better version of himself than he was a year prior is something to build on. I already mentioned earlier, Bones Island is a solid piece that you can build on moving forward. Who knows what his role is going to be? I don't think he's going to be a starter next year, but I think that he'll be, he'll definitely be second guard off the bench behind Monte. Probably he'll be in that early guard rotation and he'll be a key piece for them. Be a key scorer off the bench might be in closing lineups next year, depending on, what they do at the two guard spot next to Murray. So I, I liked, I like what I saw from the team this year in terms of with the expectations that they had, but I also like that I get, to, I can clearly see what's wrong and what needs fixed. There's no, there's no question marks about what's wrong with this team right now. It's really, we can tell what's broken. And so it's easy to fix it in terms of, you don't have to guess you can see what's wrong and it's guard defense and just defense in general. There's not a ton of shooting. There's not a ton of shooting with Murray and Porter out. There's, there's a lot of issues, but they're all very easy to see and easy to address directly. I think that's fair. Um, one, one guy that you haven't mentioned yet, Aaron Gordon, he is a guy that. I'm sure the film buff in you has really grown to appreciate as, as he continues to improve on the nuances, on the cuts, on the offensive rebounding, kind of varying up his game and improving his game over the course of, 
uh, different parts of like different parts of the season where he had some down moments here or there. And, and there are some times where he didn't show. And I think games one and two are, are pretty emblematic of that. But the progression that he made as well, along with Nikola Jokic, I think it, it stands to it stands to give Nuggets fans some excitement for when he is able to do some of the role player things for next year, as opposed to starter slash star things, then there are going to be some opportunities for him to really shine in that role. what do you see from Aaron Gordon this year? And what do you like about his fit going forward? Um, I love Aaron Gordon. I think that he's a great fit alongside Nikola Jokic. I think that a lot of his issues this year stem from, as you said, not being so much a role player, trying to be more a, he's being forced to be a star player. I think Aaron Gordon's very good. And I think he can be extremely like, I think he can be a very special player playing alongside Jokic because he's a perfect fit similar to Gary Harris. Gary Harris was a great fit alongside Jokic for a couple of reasons. He was a good slasher and he was a good spot up shooter and he was a, an overrated defender. I'm, and I'll be the one to say it. I know that I'll get a lot of hate because a lot of people, a lot of people love Gary. I get it. I think Gary was a fine defender, but I think he was overrated because he, people saw how good he was compared to the rest of the Nuggets defenders who were very bad. Same thing I said with Torrey Craig. I think Torrey Craig was an overrated defender because everybody's like, oh yeah, look, he's the best defender. Yeah, but that's, it's not great. The rest of the defenders are just not good. So I think Gary was a little bit overrated as a defender. I think Aaron Gordon was a bit overrated this year defensively. I think he's better than Gary is, but I think a main, a main part of that is the fact that he's bigger. He's six, what is he? Six, eight, two thirty, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Somewhere around there. And so he's bigger. He can hold up against bigger offensive players like LeBron, Kawhi, and whatnot a little bit better than Gary or anybody else ever could. I think the problem that he had this year was he was fo- he was forced to try and be a on-ball stopper when really he needs to be allowed to float a little bit more. And that he just couldn't do that this year with the other guys that are around him. And I think that putting him – in the lineup, which what made him so special with that group last year when they had Murray, Barton, Jokic, Gordon, Porter for that like five game stretch, what made him such a dangerous fit was there was shooting around him, which opened up space in the middle for him to cut to without Murray and Porter and Barton struggling to shoot at times this year, there just wasn't as much room to work, which makes it harder for him to cut and means that there's less areas for him to score. He's not an outside shooter. It's not what he does. He needs room to cut and get to the basket. And if there's nowhere for him to go, it's just going to inherently hurt him. I loved the bully ball things that I saw from Aaron Gordon this year. I saw that on film a lot. When he was having really good games, it was because he was playing big kid on the playground. I love when he does it and when Jokic does it, when they're just like, hey, I'm a big athletic guy and there's nothing you can do about keeping me from the basket. Whenever he would get switched onto a guard, I would love to see him call for the ball and the offense work to actually get him the ball because they're you're not stopping him there. You're either going to foul him and send him to the line or he's going to score. Those are the only two options. He's not because he's not going to try and do anything too fancy. He's just going to be like, I'm bigger than you. I'm going to back you down and score. And so I loved Aaron Gordon offensively this year when he was having good nights and defensively, I think that he was asked to do a little bit too much and do a little bit of the things he's not super comfortable with that I think we won't have to worry about that next year when the lineup is healthier. And I think that there will be a few more pieces added in to alleviate some of his uh, workload. It's a big point. And, and the offensive point is well taken where you've got a lot of room to operate if you're Gordon, if you have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. on the perimeter. The floor is going to open up. I think the offense is going to be more dynamic, and that's an exciting thing. And, and Denver's got some other pieces that they can throw in there, whether it's a Monte Morris or a Bones Highland, or we'll see if Will Barton's back, or other guys that they, they will likely have where the spacing is just going to be so much better. And I am looking forward to seeing what Denver can do from that perspective. Uh, what I will say, though, uh, not on Aaron Gordon, but on – the minutes without Nikola Jokic this year. Uh, you and I have been pretty big on that. Uh, the the Faku Compasso experiment did not work. Uh, it's not a surprise that it didn't work. I don't think he, he was a $3 million per year player. And that's you, you're probably going to have to devote some more resources to that if you're Denver. And they had Monte Morris and Bones Highland now. And how Denver handles that is going to be very interesting just from a 
uh, from a roster construction standpoint and and kind of a, a philosophy standpoint for them. But the minutes that they play without Nikola Jokic from now on, I think they've got to be more creative with them. They've got to establish an identity with those guys. And whatever they ultimately end up doing, those have to be less hurtful in general than they were overall. And there were some good things with DeMarcus Cousins this year. There were some good things with Bones Highland this year. Got to keep getting better. Got to keep doing more. And as the Nuggets continue to push harder and harder, uh, they are going to need better and better solutions deeper into the playoffs. But I mean, it just to kind of push back on that in regards to the, yeah, they got to be better with Jokic on the floor, with Jokic on the floor. But you could say that about literally every single team with their superstar. Because basically there's there's very few teams where you're going to have it where you're like, okay, your superstar player's on the floor and you're going to be a positive in those minutes. And then he leaves the floor and then you're still a positive in those minutes. That doesn't happen hardly at all. There's a reason that most teams struggle when it comes to bench stuff. And additionally, one other thing that will make the bench inherently better next year is Murray and Porter coming back because then that pushes two guys in like Jeff Green was a basically a non-factor here in the playoffs. I think that's, I think we can both agree on that. Basically a non-factor didn't really contribute much. Monte Morris was a solid player in the playoffs and, and kind of put something together as the season went on. He was fine, but he's more of, he was always more of a bench guy. Then, so this will push it. Like, let's say just take this roster to move into next year, but everybody's healthy. You put Monte Morris and Jeff Green on the bench that slides now two guys that are playing on the bench down out of the rotation and puts two guys who are starting now are on the bench minutes. And then you have your benches and then now your starters are better. And you split, now you can stagger Jokic better because now you can put the four bench guys out there with Murray, or you can put three bench guys out there with Murray and Aaron Gordon or whatever, however the rotation works out. Right just health in general will make the bench better because there'll be better players on it. I, but I completely agree with you. There are still issues that need addressed on the bench, but I also just have to factor in. There's two guys that would be starting or like first off the bench guys that were forced to start all year because of health. So that's, so that's the one pushback I want to give there is I, like, I agree with you. The bench needs to be better, but at the same time, there's key guys missing from the bench because they're in the starting lineup. Right. And, and I do think that that is the optimist's take, right? Like that, that you're going to be in a situation where you could just look at it and think, okay, Jamal Murray comes back, Michael Porter comes back and everything is now better. just kind of as a residual effect and, and having those better pieces is definitely going to be a big deal. Uh, what I will say is I'm, I'm more thinking of just an, an identity perspective and being able to go to something that you can consistently count upon. And, and I think it's going to be important because we saw Denver and, and Jokic, like he just pulled a hammy in game five and, and he just got into foul trouble where he could only play 32 minutes. And in those other 16 minutes, that's where Denver lost the game. It was just very marginal. Jokic in his minutes was even but Denver in the minutes without Jokic was a minus four. So I I do think that that has kind of been the story throughout the year. And there will be some things that just that kind of goes away as next season rolls in, but I need to see it. And you need to like, you're going to need to guarantee to me that Michael Porter is going to be a healthy player before I ultimately commit to, Oh yeah, they're just going to have everybody down a couple spots in the pecking order again, because he's back. Uh, he is going to have to prove that health to me, I think. That's fair. I can't disagree with that at all. Mike Porter Jr. has not done much to prove that he can be healthy outside of the outside of his loan season that he played basically the entire year. He is not, he's definitely not giving you a good reason to have that vote of confidence in him and his ability to stay on the floor. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue with you too hard there. I just more met like it was just just looking at it from the simple standpoint of when these two guys come back, even if Porter, let's say Mike Porter Jr. is not healthy for all 82 games. Let's say he's healthy for let's call it 50, 56. I believe that's I believe that's sure. 75% of the season or something like that. Yeah, it's about it's about a two-thirds. Two-thirds. So 66% of the season. I think that's that's a fair number to give him. 
assuming because he's going to have the entire year, basically an entire year off to fully recover. Yes, I understand he was doing some work and then he had a setback or whatever, but he's been, he hasn't been playing actual live NBA games. He's not been traveling as much. He's been allowed to fully recover. So he'll be able to play hopefully about 66% of the games. Even in that 66%, that helps the regular, that helps the bench for the majority of the time. But the, I think that it would be cool to, as you say, take on a different identity of the offense. The starting lineup is going to be offense heavy. There's no doubt about that. It would be cool to almost see the bench have a just, I wouldn't mind seeing Boogie Cousins back because I think that he gives the bench an identity of nastiness. I think that Bones Highland has an attitude and an edge to him. I think that adding more guys around that identity of, hey, yeah, our starters are out of the lineup and they're the the finesse guys, quote unquote, but the this bench that's going to come in is going to just wear you guys out for the next eight minutes that they're on the floor. So have fun dealing with these guys. And then as soon as they're done, then our starters are going to come back in and do and just put you through the ringer because now you're worn out because you've just been dealing with these guys who are just making you run your head into a wall and making you earn every point for eight minutes. It's a great point. And, and there was some of that, right? Like Jamichael Green, DeMarcus Cousins minutes together were very physical for the opposing team. And they probably didn't like those very much at all because it just wears you down. It just makes you tired and exhausted and, like Denver at this point in, in this series, they won the rebounding battle so much against the Warriors when, when they were really locked in on that front and just trying to take the physicality to them. That's gonna be how they that's gonna be how they win a title if they do it, is they've got to be the more physical team than the opposition. And they've they've long had this um they've long had this identity of being a softer team of being a more finesse team because I don't think that Murray was ready for the physicality initially. Porter obviously wasn't ready for the physicality initially and, and Jokic had to fight through some stuff as well. So that is going to be a very interesting transition for this group, I think. And the last thing I will say before we hit a break, regular season habits, something that I've been pushing a long time. And I don't think that Denver took those seriously this year. I think that they were just trying to get through the regular season rather than applying what they needed to, to the regular season, to getting to a place where their offense and their defense were at a championship level heading into the playoffs. Now, some of it was just the fact that they didn't have their guys. They didn't have a couple of their top pieces, but even if they don't have a top guy or two next year, that can't be an excuse again because they have to know how important it is to get off to a great start in the playoffs, where the physicality has to be, where the execution level has to be, and just understanding the game plan and manipulating that to your advantage. Like it's such an important thing. And you build those habits by taking the regular season seriously and practicing what you preach in the playoffs. So we'll see if they ultimately do that. That's my, that's my call to them is that if you are going to be a good playoff team, you have to be a good regular season team too. Yeah, I know that there's a uh, there's a statistic about teams, like the greatest teams of all time in terms of win rates, like number of wins in the regular season, and then the ratio of those ones that went on to win the title. I know that the Suns are in that tier this year uh and i believe it's all but i think four of these like top 17 or whatever it is teams have it's bill simmons talks about it like once a week on his podcast i can <laughs> i i i he i only know that because he like he does three shows a week and he brings up this stat at least once every like once a week but it's the teams that have won x amount of games in a season have gone on to win or be in the finals all but like twice or something, something crazy it's, like it's that. A, it's a it's a large number. It's it's like the sixty four win threshold or somewhere around there. Uh, pretty crazy. And and yeah. to get to that point is is it takes a lot of work. And the and the Suns worked for it. And Denver's going to have to do that too. 
Yeah, no, that's, and that's kind of what I was getting at. It's just like, you see the teams that put in the great regular seasons and everyone's like, oh, well, the regular season doesn't matter. You had like the LeBron teams where they could just turn it on once they hit the playoffs or you had the, like in the prime LeBron's years, like the heat and with the early Cavs years where they could just turn it on when the playoffs happened, they didn't really have to worry about the rest of the year or the Warriors can seemingly just kind of float through that when the peak dynasty, they could just kind of float through the year. Yeah. They had the 73 and nine year, but they lost, but they still made, they made it to the title and it took a Draymond green suspension and a Herculean effort from Kyrie Irving and LeBron James to, for them to lose the title at all. So Denver does, like you said, they have to establish an identity and take the regular season seriously and try and go out and be, a dominant team in the regular season and then carry that through to the playoffs. They can't just hope to turn it on because not every team can just flip the switch and go hundred percent. Once the playoffs happen, that's just not how it works. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into more roster specific takeaways and how Denver can improve as a team, just as, as we're at the initial stages of this off season effort, we will be right back. We're back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support, as always, on the program. If you could, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Five stars, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. That would be fantastic. All right. Gage is here. He is helping me break down just the end of this season for Denver. Initial takeaways on the season, on the roster. Let's move into the roster now. Uh, the one thing that really stands out, I think, over all the others, and I think it's just the injuries were a killer and not having the depth in order to sustain those injuries and survive those injuries was a really big deal. But it wasn't just the big ones. It wasn't just the fact that Jamal Murray and Michael Porter went down. It was the fact that P.J. Dozier went down. It was the fact that Zeke Naji went down at a poor time for Denver where he was just getting into a rhythm and the nuggets were really in a position where they, they wanted to commit to that. And, and he was in a place where he could have been a factor in this playoff series. But the fact is, is that the nuggets were just hit with injury after injury, after injury. And it ultimately culminated in Austin rivers going down in the first quarter bones, Highland getting banked up in the fourth quarter and uh, Nikola Jokic, I think he, he dealt with a hamstring injury throughout the, the fifth game. And you're at that point where you're just overworked and, and because you had to overcompensate with not enough depth overall with guys that are out. But if Denver has any chance of getting to the playoffs, or not the playoffs, getting to the NBA finals, it is going to be Gage because they have depth and because they stayed healthy. That is 100% correct. For those that don't know, I have a theory every in every sport, it doesn't matter if it's baseball, basketball, football, hockey, soccer, what whatever. There are two things you need to win a title. You need to be playing your best ball at that time. It, it doesn't matter. It, it, you have to be playing the absolute best that you've played all year long in order to win the title. And you need to be healthy at the right time. The, the best example of this over the last two years is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they won the Super Bowl. Not this last, not this most recent one, obviously, but the one before that. They had been average at best all year. They made the playoffs as a wild card, but they got really hot after their bye. And then they didn't lose again. They just, they didn't, they won out the rest of the year and they went and won a Super Bowl. They had a pass rush. That was great. There they had historically good health. They had, I believe three players from their opening day roster that weren't on the active roster for the Super Bowl. That does, that doesn't happen. And one of those was a kicker. One of those three players was a kicker that just that health level of health doesn't happen. And then they, they came back to earth. That's why they were all beat up all year long. 
the teams that win titles have good depth, which is important, but also being healthy. Denver has not been healthy either of the last two years and has been a gigantic hindrance. And it's been a, and, and even more glaring of an issue when it comes to the playoffs because the two teams that they've gotten beat by were both guard-dominant teams. And whereas Denver's injury has been, the guards. Yeah, I understand Michael Porter Jr. is a forward, and they've had forward injuries here or there but it's been pretty much all guard based. Like last year, we, I know we all saw that it was literally every guard that Denver had between right. Monte, Murray, <laughs> Barton, uh, just anybody, guard, any Dozier, every guard that they had was beaten up at one point or another. And then they were starting Faku and Austin Rivers. And uh, Shaq Harrison was getting regular minutes. I still love Shaq Harrison. think he should have gotten more time with the team, but that's just me. So I think that so Denver being healthy is going to be important moving forward next year. They, they have to be healthy and then they have to have depth because if you can't, the playoff rotation shrinks a little bit, but you still generally need at least five guys that can come off the bench. I know most teams will be like, oh, well, they only play eight or they only play seven or whatever, but you need five because that gives you one guy at each spot. You need two guards, two forwards and a center. If your team doesn't just go play pure small wall, which Michael Malone doesn't go pure small ball. So if Cousins is I, – I wouldn't mind having Cousins back next year because I think that he gives you a great dynamic to go away from Jokic. I think that he is a great guy that you can put that can bang with other big centers because he's got good size and he's got a mean streak. He's not afraid to go be nasty with people, and he can carry you some nights. Like he had um, – the, the game against Houston where I believe he had like 29 points on – something crazy like 11 or 12 shots or whatever it was. He just got super hot. So sometimes having, yeah, having, having capable players at every position and then having the depth uh, to be able to rest guys throughout the regular season and ensure that you are staying healthy. That is such a big deal. And, and one of the things that this Nuggets team had, they, they had one game, I think where they rested Nikola Jokic. It was against Utah on the second night of a back-to-back in the middle of a, I think it was at the end of a road trip actually. And they decided to rest him. They rested a couple of other guys and the product that they put out on the court, they didn't believe that they had any chance of winning. (laughs) And it was pretty evident from the way that they carried themselves. And, and they ultimately were able to keep it close because the opposing team, the jazz, they were down like five of their top guys as well. So it was kind of a a very low tier mid off, but I think this Nuggets team, they've got to take the regular season seriously, but they also have to find the time to rest people and ensure that they are staying healthy, getting to a place where they can enter the playoffs with with as much firepower as possible. And it's going to be tough. Like They've got to thread that needle while also remaining uh, relatively affordable because they're going to be in the luxury tax next year in all likelihood. And this this front office, this or not front office, this ownership group hasn't played hasn't paid the luxury tax since 2010. And unless you are willing to do the things that you're willing to do, then you might be losing some of that depth. And that is a really, really tough thing because they have an opportunity to go get deeper. They have an opportunity to add a couple of guys and also get deeper. But if they have to sacrifice that because of their cheapness and and the lack of affordability then that is going to be an issue that plagues denver for years to come i think i think the fact that cost comes into effect is ridiculous um stan (laughs) cronkey has more money than he knows what to do with he just spent billions of dollars on a stadium for his rams he has all this money they just won a super bowl they won't get him a new training facility. Won't get him. Won't get. Just got a G League team this year. You haven't paid this luxury tax since 2010. In order to win titles, you have to pay the luxury tax. That's just the way it goes. Sorry about you, but you know what? Maybe you just don't. Maybe you don't want to win titles. I mean, I don't know. You and your wife own a combined like 12 sports teams. <laughs> but so it's clearly, a- you're okay with spending money, but you won't spend money on your NBA team. It's one of the most popular sports. In the, in the world, it is the one of the fastest growing sports in the country, if not the fastest growing sport in the country, because 
of guys like Jokic who put up highlight reel plays with just Jokic doesn't even have to put up the highlight reel dunks. His passes get shared on social media like crazy. Why? Because they are crazy things. They have an owner who all he has to do, just go write the check. I get it. I get that it's easy to, for me to be spending money that's not mine and easy to just say, oh, we'll just go spend it. Well, you're going to make it back. You're going to more than make it back. Just yeah, it's, a, it's a gamble that you have to take, right? It's a gamble that you have to, as an owner, if you are willing to make that gamble, then it's more than likely going to pay off if, if you've got the right supporting cast and you've got the right group of people that are leading the charge. And I do think that Denver has that group. They have that foundation that's Nikola Jokic is going to commit to signing the Supermax. And it is the, it's the largest contract in NBA history. And I hope that that, that isn't a conversation with Denver's ownership group, because if it is, then that's a, that's a bigger issue than anything. Uh, But if you have a coach that you like a front office that you like, and a leading star, a leading player, along with the supporting cast around him, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, et cetera, then you might as well go all the way in. You might as well just commit full bore. And you don't have to do this forever. Like It's it's not a requirement for him to be in the luxury tax until the end of time while Nikola Jokic is on the roster. I would like for him to be, but I'm also realistic and understand that there are certain things that are going to change. And, and like, this isn't going to be a forever thing for the Nuggets, but they have to make it a now thing. They have to capitalize on the opportunity now when Nikola Jokic is 27 years old, and this might be their best window ever to win a title and bring a title to the Denver Nuggets franchise, which hasn't won one before. I'm still just sitting here just dumbfounded about the fact that he won't spend the money. And I mean, to be if fair, to be fair, like there, there haven't been a ton of opportunities to spend the money. Uh, there were, there was one last year, and they could have gone over by like four million if they wanted to, but it, it really wouldn't have changed much. I don't think. Like it was the I difference agree. between. But I think we're more sitting here with the realistic idea of he might not pay it. Like we're sitting yeah. here right now on April twenty eighth. It is eleven oh five Eastern Standard Time, and. I think it's a legitimate possibility that he wouldn't pay the luxury tax. I think that he would try to find ways for the team to get cheaper, to get under it, but you can't do that with, with, especially if Nikola Jokic wants to stay there. And I think that he does. I know he verbally committed to it yesterday. Now being now being two days ago when people are listening to this, but you have a guy who wants to be in a city that is not exactly known for free agent destinations, even though it absolutely should be because minus the fact that it gets a little chillier than, than uh, Florida, it has a lot of the similar tax, like tax benefits that Florida has. It is a, it's a beautiful city in terms of you have all different sports. There's good seasons. There's you're away from people while still having some of the city aspects of life there. There's a lot of benefits to being out there, but yet people don't want to ever come come to Denver. So right now you have a back-to-back MVP who is a superstar who's beloved around the league and who and who has no problem deferring to other people and should be and people should be wanting to go play with him, and yet they don't for some reason. And he wants to be there. You you pay him, you pay him, you 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 give him a blank check, you tell him to fill it in, and you will sign it when it's done. There's and that's that should be the end of it because. You build around Jokic. That's the way you win a title. There's no, there's no other way. That's what happens. You build around Jokic, and you, whatever the cost is for the team, that's you. You figure it out. You you pay it you, because with Jokic, you are legitimately a super. You're a championship contender as long as he's playing at this right. level. Yeah, I, I I mostly hope that this is a non-conversation and that we are just we're talking about the the move that is basically guaranteed to happen. And then if it does happen and they're like, OK, we, we need to shed some money elsewhere, then they might do that. And we, we can talk about that if that is ultimately what they do. If they're let's say they're they're interested in trading Michael Porter Jr. because they they believe in Jamal Murray, they believe in Michael Porter, or they believe in Nicole Jokic, they believe in Aaron Gordon. But you need to find some way to cost to, to shed costs, and that's probably the way that they would do it. I'm hoping that we don't have to go down that route, though, because there are ways that they can stay relatively affordable. Uh, they will have to pay the luxury tax, and, and that's that's something that is 
going to happen this year. And I do think that it will happen. Um, but I, I do want to throw these things out you at you from a roster standpoint. And you could just tell me yay or nay. We could talk about them individually if you'd like. I think that not promoting Davon Reed was a mistake for this playoff series, just because I think he would have been extremely helpful given the injury situations that they faced. And the fact is, is that they, they weren't able to count on Zeke Najee or Vlako Chanchar because they came back too late and then they were pretty injured for most of the season. They really weren't able to count on Faku Campazo. They really weren't able they, obviously they didn't have the two-way contracts available and they had Nicole or uh, Jamal Murray and Michael Porter out so that that wasn't ever really a possibility. And they, on top of that, had Austin Rivers go down in the last game and, and you, you, See, okay, then Jeff Green had to play 29 minutes. And you don't think that Davon Reed could have closed that game and play in his place and done a pretty reasonable job? I think he probably could have. So I think that that was a mistake. And it's one of those cost-cutting things that's a very minor thing that that I'm I'm a little bit concerned about. But look, there are there are signs that that they still want to get by on the edges and weren't fully committed. There's no world where it doesn't make there's no world where it makes sense to not keep Davon Reed unless it's purely cost. And even then, you could have I know that I can't remember if Ryan, if it was you or somebody else, but you could have cut Faku and elevated Davon Reed to the playoff roster and signed him to a rest of the season contract, and you would have saved money doing it. Yeah, that's a, I mean, hey, like there, there are some things that they are probably doing agent wise and connection wise that probably more important than just adding Dave on Reed. That is, that is the optimist in me saying that hopefully this benefits Denver in the long run. Uh, but we will actually see if that's true. Um, more things on the roster. I think that point guard is their strongest position. I think that between Jamal Murray, Monte Morris and Bones Highland going forward. I think you've got three excellent point guards who are going to continue to develop and going to continue to get better as a trio. And that, like, I don't think that any of them have a ceiling on them at this point. And that is a really exciting thing and something that Denver can really center their team around going forward. Like you'll have Nikola Jokic, obviously, but having three separate options to score and play make around him is a really good thing too. I think the only player of those three that has a ceiling on him right now is Monte Morris. Yeah, I think, I think that's know, probably true. Actually. I think I think we know what Monte is. I think we know what his floor is. We know what his ceiling is. We know what he is at this point. I agree, Bones. We have no clue what he could be at this time. We've seen flashes of what he might be. But we don't know what he's going to be. Murray, I think, is just scratching the surface of what he can be. Before he was injured, he was playing like an all-star there was there was no doubt that's what he was going to be if he came back and was playing the same way next year or then the following season prior to his injury there's no doubt that's what he was going to play himself into especially with the way the western conference shook out this year where if basically if you were healthy for longer than two weeks you were going to be an all-star andrew wiggins <laughs> now he, he's just a big k-pop fan um no uh i th- i think here, here's here's one question to you if the difference between getting a good perimeter defender and getting a great perimeter defender is trading Monte Morris, would you do it? No. I wouldn't. Interesting. Uh, because I've seen what Monte brings to the team. I've seen what Monte brings without him on the floor. I because we've seen the bench struggle over the last year and two months with or the last year without him on the bench. And we've seen so we know what he brings. And while having a great defender would be fantastic, having a guy that can consistently go on the floor when your starters need a rest, which we just talked about earlier in this podcast, when you need to rest your starters or you need to give them some time off. You have a guy that can do that. And I understand you have bones, but I have Monte Morris, who Michael Malone trusts about three people on this earth. And Monte Morris is one of them. <laughs> it's he a good take. Sit, he, like, he, like, it's Jokic, 
Morris and then his wife. I think that is that is the list of the people <laughs> in this world that Michael Malone has the trust. And he can say, all right, Monte, go run the team and go or go run the offense. And and he can trust him to do that. Oh, wait, I, I lied. There's four. Faku Composo. He also trusts him for some reason. <laughs> Stop. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point. And it's kind of like when I was talking about, hey, building on your strengths. Like Denver's strength right now, on top of just having Nikola Jokic, is that they're going to have three good options at point guard going forward. And those guys are different enough that they can play together. And that is an exciting thing that you can come up with these combinations that are going to be really interesting and really fun. Now, are you going to be able to defend? Are are you going to have to force others to defend you? Uh, That's probably the line that they have to walk there. But it is an exciting thing to think about. So we will go into that with an open mind. Uh, Another thing, I think they need a defensive wing in the pipeline. I think that's one thing that you look at Herb Jones and what he did for the New Orleans Pelicans this year, just as just a, a dynamic, unbelievable young wing defender. And there are a lot of those guys that come up through through the pipeline, and, and some of them are more available than others. Like you had Mikhail Bridges drafted in the 2018 draft, and that wasn't available to Denver, but just a good example of somebody that was available for a championship contender. You have Matisse Thybul, who has really struggled this year offensively, but defensively he is a generational uh, steals and blocks kind of guy. And, and what he's able to do as a defender, if you have a guy like that on your roster, then you could just deploy him any which way you want to. Herb Jones, same thing. I wonder if Denver can get one of those guys into their program. And if you've got Murray and Porter and Gordon and Jokic, as long as you have a wing defender that you can go to at any given point, that could be the difference between a title or not. And if it's a veteran, then that probably is fine too. But I kind of want it to be a young guy. I want them to add somebody who's a six foot five, six foot six, six foot seven wing defender that is just an absolute plus athlete and can do a little bit of everything defensively on the court. I have I have no I have no notes for the first time in my life. I have nothing to add. I that's I I have no problem with Denver adding a thing that they don't have. That's like so you said that they could add an elite defender by trading away Monte Morris or a great defender by trading away Monte Morris. But at the same time, that now takes a strength and makes it a strength that's very health reliant. And you're now taking a guy that in Jamal Murray, who, yeah, he's had over a year off, but now he's got to play a lot more because you guess what? You don't have that backup point guard to rely on. Yeah. You have bones Highland, but if bones or Murray misses a game, which with the way that bones plays could happen with the way that Murray will probably not be ready to go full game speed. That could happen. Now you're, Strength is no longer a strength anymore because you they had need nights off. So that's why I didn't want to trade that away. And guess what? There's always guys that can't shoot but can play defense in the draft. I don't care what any old head basketball person says. Kids don't want to play defense anymore. They just all want to play offense. Well, guess what? Matisse Tybalt just came out in the last couple of years. He's not exactly been around. He's He came up in the era of the Steph Curry, just, all right, we're only going to shoot. That's all we're going to do. No one's going to play any defense. No one's going to play any defense. He was drafted in 2020. He's 25 he was drafted, years old. Uh, he was drafted 2019. 2019 and he was the tw- made his debut in 2020. That's what it was. 21st sorry. overall pick, which is what Denver will have in this upcoming draft. So it so is possible is they can draft a defensive minded wing in the 21st century without being a <laughs> in the top 10. They can get one. What? Tim Connolly has been. Yeah. Tim Connolly has been a very offensive minded uh, GM and, and somebody who continues to add to the offensive pipeline. They will try to supplement with defenders. And that is, that has been good for a long time. Um, but in order to be great, I think they need a defensive guy that they can go to that is also young and full of energy and not going to burn out after a couple of years of doing that. Imagine if they had gotten OG and an OB instead of Tyler Lydon. I know. I know. I, I think about it like 
three times a day. It's crazy. It's crazy. I went to, like I went to IU and I love <laughs> and I loved OG. And then I'm sitting here and every time I'm like, he could have gone there. I know the Nuggets wanted it too. That was the guy that they targeted, and then he was drafted one spot before them. It was, it was brutal. Um, other than like, so I'm I'm kind of thinking pie in the sky options there, and there there are some guys that I'll I'll name uh, at a later date that I think they could get that are more realistic, and then there are some guys that they that they if they have to shoot for the moon for in order to get, then like that would be fantastic too. Uh, but we won't go into specifics right now. This is more just like initial takeaways. The next one is I think they need a Michael Porter Jr. backup plan. And this is just a a combination of he is proven to be unreliable with his health at times. And that's just an unfortunate reality when you miss two years that that's that's just going to follow you until it isn't a problem. And fortunately, Denver's in a position where they have other foundational pieces to win a title and they don't need him to be at peak performance in order to win a title. It would be helpful. That's for sure. But in order to win and win without him, they need to have a dedicated plan for that. And I'm not sure that's Jeff green. I'm not sure it's Jermichael green. I think it either has to be Zeke Naji or somebody else. And that somebody else is probably not on the roster right now. One problem with it being Zeke Naji is the fact that he's not allowed to play that role. Because what do you mean? Michael Malone doesn't want him to do that. We've do seen what? play the play the the Michael Porter Jr. thing. Okay, Michael Porter Jr. is out. Who are we going to start tonight? We're going to start Zeke Naji, who is shooting better than than Jeff Green or Jamichael Green. He's playing fine defense. It may not be as energetic as you want, but he's putting in effort and he's trying to get better. And he can guess what? He can't get any better if he's sitting on the damn bench all night. He's got he's got to be in the game. I, you cannot. I until until the day I die, you will never convince me that a person is getting better when they're not in the game than when they're in the game. You can learn a ton. I, as a person that I sat my entire freshman year of varsity baseball when I was in high school, I sat the entire, basically the entire year. I lettered because I played just enough innings here and there, but I sat behind juniors and seniors and I sat the entire year next to my coach and I learned a ton, but you, I did not, I was not learning as much as when I was actually in the game and dealing with the situations. If you put Zeke on the bench the entire time, he's never going to figure it out. Same thing happened with Michael Porter Jr. When Michael Porter Jr. was sat on the bench and we all in Nugget Twitter lost our minds because, oh, he missed one defensive rotation two seconds into the game. We're not going to see him again until the second quarter. And guess what? That's exactly what would happen. But you let him go and work through the issues and he eventually kind of figured it out. He's still got defensive flaws, but he got better. Zeke needs the opportunity to get better. And until Malone gives it to him, I don't know how he's ever going to be the the Michael Porter Jr. backup. I think he is going to be in the rotation next year pretty consistently. The hope, of course, is that you've got Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon, and you can go to Zeke Naji for more defense in like over Michael Porter, or you can go to him for more shooting over Aaron Gordon. And, and having those three as some some versatile forward options going forward would be, would be fantastic. But uh, until that is the commitment until, until Jamichael green and Jeff green are not on the roster, I'm going to assume that they are going to play over Zeke Nagy. And maybe that's the wrong thing. Maybe, maybe I should just assume that Zeke has to sort of take that responsibility and he has to prove himself over those guys but it is hard to do. And, and Michael Malone has consistently gone to those veteran options pretty consistently, and they've been pretty stable. But I do think that Zeke is one of those guys that he is going to give you a little bit of a higher ceiling than a vet. And, and those guys are going to be solid, but Zeke has the potential still to be very, very good. And they drafted him for a reason. So I hope that they remain committed to him and his development. We will see if that's actually the case. Am I possibly overreacting a little bit? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, probably. Probably just but a little. The, but at the same time, I 
uh, I'll believe that Malone changes his stripes when I see it. I've seen him be very stubborn about certain things. I've seen Najee get a little more minutes here and there. We've seen him get hot certain nights and he'll get a little bit more run, but it's also, it's very sporadic. And I don't know if it's just a, they have to be in the league for X amount of years before they really get trusted to be in the lineup consistently. But that's just where I'm at is I have a guy that I've seen flashes of, and I don't know if it's a, is it a me thing? Am I not seeing it? Or am I seeing, or am I looking with rose colored glasses? And that's why I think he needs to be in there. What's the, what's the issue? Is it, is it me or is it, is it Malone or is it Nashi altogether? And just need that one of us are getting it. And to be fair, like the, these guys, and, and also let's, let's be clear. Zeke got injured and then was out. And then like his, his next game or his last game was game 82. And that was his first game back. And I understand Michael Malone, not necessarily trusting him in a playoff environment because he might just not have been physically ready. And, and that's, that's a very real, very understandable feeling. That excuse kind of goes out the door next year. And my guess is that the organization, the, the Tim Connolly and co are probably going to put them into position where Zeke Naji has an opportunity to play or he has moved for somebody else that can be helpful because he's kind of their last other trade chip that isn't really a foundational piece. Like I think you consider bones kind of a foundational piece with what they want to do now and going forward. Uh, obviously they have Murray Porter, Gordon Jokic. Monte is one of those guys that if you want to maintain your advantage in the backcourt, then you keep him. Zeke is a guy that I could see them trading and being like, okay, we need a better wing defender. So we're going to trade for an actual wing. And Zeke is the guy that we have to give up. And so you do that. I personally, like that's, that's a tough one for me. Like I, I would like to avoid that if possible, because I, I believe in Zeke Naji as a shooter and a defender, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, be surprised if they went a different direction. So we will see, we will definitely see how that goes, but that's really all the main roster takeaways that I have. Uh, I will say DeMarcus Cousins coming back a stronger possibility after this playoff series than I think it was before this playoff series. And that is a cool thing. It was a, a nice thing for him to be able to prove that there are still some things that he does that I'm kind of bothered by, but you live with the bad when you get so much good. And I was going to say that's, I mean, that's with a guy like DeMarcus, you just kind of have to live with that. You accept, you accept the negatives for the positives. It's the same as like Draymond Green. With Draymond Green, the Warriors live with the fact that he's going to be somewhat of a headache sometimes and he's going to get he's going to get involved in extracurricular activities with cousins. You have to accept what he's going to get into that you don't love because he does a lot of things good that you do love. Yeah. 100%, man. Any other takeaways that you have from this regular season or from this roster? Uh, just kind of as we we say goodbye to the 2021-2022 Nuggets? I'm going to say a classic cliche line. Don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. I mean, yeah, some negative stuff happened. The team didn't win a title. But guess what? Only one team wins a title every year. 29 teams are, go home with tears. That's okay. You just That's why I said earlier in the podcast, and I kind of devolved as we went along here, but Enjoy the enjoy the positive things that did happen this year because that's what the that's what it's all about is getting to enjoy impressive, incredible moments from guys like Jokic or Monte Morris hitting a game winner over Golden State in a game that they probably shouldn't have won. Enjoy enjoy those moments and enjoy what the like the the fact that you have a good team to root for. You could be the Knicks, you could be a Knicks fan. <laughs> where yeah that would suck exactly you could uh, what do you have to root for rj barrett and he's inconsistent as all get out from night to night so enjoy the fact that you have a good team and you have good players to root for because there are a lot of people that don't have that luxury um there are things to nitpick about every team and about denver specifically but more like at the end of the day, I'm just going to focus on the good things that did happen. And I'll focus more on the negative things as the off season goes on. And then I start comparing us to other teams, which is ultimately how I break down the teams. Well, we'll talk about that. I'm sure that you and I'll talk here in the next 
the next month or so about the teams and team and uh, kind of compare them to everybody else and how they're going to move forward. I have no doubt. We will see how the rest of the NBA season evolves and we will see if that affects the nuggets and, and how that affects the nuggets in its various manners. Uh, but for now, Gage, thank you so much for hopping on with me, man. Really appreciate you taking the time and for everybody else that is going to do for this episode of pickaxe and roll. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn over at Denver stiffs as the site manager over there. Uh, we're partnered with Mile High Sports and really thankful to those guys. Uh, we had a really nice game one watch party that was it was sort of crushed by the fact that Denver got blown out of that. But there are some other events that are likely to come, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that evolves, too. Uh, but for now, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Thank you.